This show contains badass material and foul f***ing language. Some people may find offensive. What else did you expect? Nostalgia really whips the llama's ass. Welcome to Bitch Watch. Hi, I'm Sly. I'm Witsy. And we're two bitches watching TV. We're a recap and shit talk show. That's right. We watch hours and hours and hours of TV, so you don't have to. You can listen and laugh along with us everywhere you listen to podcasts and find us on Instagram and Twitter at BitchWatchPod. Is our show original? No. Entertaining? We hope so. This is BitchWatch. How's it going, everybody? This is Chewy. And this is Monica. And we are from the podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. Where we talk about stuff like horror films, shows, and folk legends. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podchaser. Like us and give us a review. Welcome back to Nostal Junk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait, are we... Are we recording right now? We're going to be covering 1980 horror. Just the horror from 1980. Might as well. We did 1981 last time. We attempted this before. Yeah, we tried this before. But I think now we have a hold of you know, how this all should go. Oh, and, I mean, we've uh, got we've got major sponsors. Uh, we've oh, yeah. got a production crew. Huge listener base. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> we rival Good Mythical Morning. Um yeah, we're 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 big deal. We're a big. We do deal. have the Illuma, Illuma Potty though. We do have the Illuma Potty. What a great group, and it is expanding. I think we're up over thirty members of different podcasters that are all supporting each other. And I it, honestly, super hilarious chats back and forth. I think the chats should be turned into a side, like an auxiliary pod. Um, anyway, we'll leave yeah, that for another day. But it's that's it, a, but that's it, a good idea. And I think I think we should host a screening of some of these oddball movies that we love so much. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Spreading the love. You got it. Venereal disease, baby. <laughs> Wait, what? I didn't say it. Yeah, last week we went over the um, our top five 1981 horror films. Now, I know there was a couple that I hadn't seen, a couple maybe that you hadn't seen. You told me, did you watch Dark Night of the Scarecrow? Hey, with as you pointed out, Larry Drake, Doctor Giggles, Dark Man himself. <laughs> yeah, uh, wow, what a what a really cool movie that was. We've got to make up a shirt somehow, and it is uh, drink beer, watch horror, get comeuppance. Like that's what it <laughs> says on it. And and this is this movie is literally all about comeuppance. I love it. That's what I live yeah. for. You're just like, you know that feeling you get when you're just like, oh, I cannot wait for this to go down. You know what I mean? You know, it's not, it's not like the greatest horror film of all time. But like I said, it was one of those movies I've just heard about for so long. Finally got a chance to check it out. And, you know, it just delivered on what it was and what it, what it set out to be. And just uh, combined with the fact that it was a, uh, you know, made for TV, CBS kind of movie. It was just a simple, really efficient Effective revenge, supernatural-ish revenge story. The postman in that. Yeah, see, he's the he's the guy. It's like you just can't wait for him to get his comeuppance. What a pos he is! <laughs> what a piece of shit that guy was. Yeah, but he's been in a ton of movies. He was other Lebowski in Big Lebowski. Oh yes! Oh my goodness! Wow, I totally forgot. Yeah. 
I totally forgot. They about meant that. to piss on his rug. <laughs> yeah, this is a private residence, man. Well, that's like your opinion, man. <laughs> well, that's like your opinion, man. What a great quote. Uh, it, it leads into something nostalgic, um, but I did watch Army of the Dead, the new Zack Snyder. Oh, how was it? Not good. <laughs> Not the greatest. <laughs> Just a lot of things went nowhere. Very stylish, though. Didn't ultimately mm. do it for me. So what did I do? I watched Night of the Living Dead again. Redemption, baby. <laughs> yeah, just to get back. Just such a great movie. I mean, what, what needs, more needs to be said about that movie? Taking off of your analogy from last week, Army of the Dead is the pepperoni and the chocolate that everyone's hopped up on. Army of the Dead's equivalent would be like... You know those uh, Easter bunny chocolate bunnies that they aren't really made of like good milk chocolate. It's like that weird chalky oh. chocolate. Yeah, so I, I that'd be a better comparison, I would think. Okay. After like four or five beers, if you're over like at a buddy's house watching horror films or whatever, and you could like consume a whole pizza. Yeah. Because it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. That that's trained to be <laughs> something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. What are you drinking tonight? Got myself a 12-pack of Garrison Tall Ship. We've done an ad for them before. Yes, the Tall Ship. Amber Red. <laughs> yeah. What you got? Well, I've got the North Brewing Company made in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. Dartmouth Dark. And it is a coffee-infused dark Lagerdale, 4.5%, made with anchored coffee, roasted in uh, Dartmouth as well. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's let's hear how romantic this sounds. Oh, light of my... What's that? Light of my life, fire in my loins. Oh, wait. I think that's actually from Lolita. Never mind. I, that's probably not a good one to base a, a romantic quote off of. Let's get a first hit off of that. Mm, just off of the nose. That's lovely. Mm. Now, fun fact, the beer being called Dartmouth Dark, Halifax and Dartmouth kind of separated by the Halifax Harbor, and Dartmouth has a slang term uh, that's just been existed for as long as I can remember, and we do call Dartmouth the dark side. Of course. And the and the motto to go with it, the view is better from Dartmouth. <laughs> the view is better from Dartmouth. Yeah, because you're looking at Halifax. <laughs> I know, it's not even a lie, though. It is a better view from Dartmouth. So let's get into our list. Now, you know that I like to go a little overboard. I've got my honorable mentions. Do you have some honorable mentions? I just have one that I was going to mention. We actually saw it um, on the last drive-in. We were hanging out and we watched this. It was the first time I'd ever seen it. Um, And that, of course, is Mother's Day from 1980. No one can escape on Mother's Day because Mother's Day never ends. Uh, it's just a weird. I just never seen it before, and I just I guess I didn't expect it to be so strange. It is a honey of a movie. It's kind of out there. <laughs> Mother's Day is a 1980 American rape and revenge slasher, directed, co-written, and produced by Charles Kaufman, brother of Troma Entertainment co-founder Lloyd Kaufman, who acted as associate producer on the film. It's like just that's one sentence that really captures what you're about to watch. <laughs> yeah. What's yours? So do you have honorable mentions? Turns out I haven't watched too much 
from 1980. I've watched a lot from 81, 82, 83, and on. Out of the honorable mentions, New Year's Evil. One terrifying night of unspeakable evil. New Year's Evil. <laughs> Have you seen that? No. That's a good time. It's actually <laughs> New Year's fun. Evil. The other uh, holiday entry I have is Christmas Evil. Christmas Evil, the night he dropped in. In suburban New Jersey, on Christmas Eve 1947, a young boy named Harry Stadling sees his mother being sexually groped by his father, who is dressed up as Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Heartbroken, the child rushes up to the attic, cuts his hand with a shard of glass, from a shattered snow globe. It's a very bizarre kind of, um, it's almost like a taxi driver Christmas movie. <laughs> I shouldn't say taxi driver. I should say more like maniac, <laughs> <laughs> which is also 1980, of course. Usually there's a canon of, you know, uh, Christmas horror. There's a canon of Halloween horror. That's one that I think gets missed. And I would recommend New Year's Evil as well, just because it's fun, campy of the era. But it's also 1980, so we're still early in this whole slasher movement. So um, if nothing else, you'll know that it's actually pretty fresh because it hasn't been overexposed at this point. Mm -hmm. Here's some others. Fade to Black. Twinkle, twinkle, movie star. Eric knows just where you are. Try to run, try to hide. You won't get out of this alive. Dennis Christopher in Fade to Black. Rated R. It's a very bizarre movie. Um, have you watched that? Yeah, I thought I tried, you did. I, tr- oh, I, I, I don't think I finished it. I do like the, that idea of you know, someone obsessed with the movies because, you know, we're kind of in a way obsessed with the movies. I always like that kind of plot device, but people praise his performance online and in reviews and stuff. I don't know if I could, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent behind it. Let's yeah. Say. It's very meta and it's very advanced concept for its time. Mm-hmm. Um, using, you know, Hollywood to inspire your killings as a killer. Uh, it's very scream like in yes. the concept, mm-hmm. maybe in execution, Kind of falls short of that, but I do understand both sides. My opinion is similar to yours. I wasn't swept away with it, but I do see its importance in the entry of the 1980 horror craze. And definitely, if we're just going to look at it as a concept horror movie, it actually had a very cool concept for a killer. Mm -hmm. Very, very, not sympathetic, not empathetic, but one of those character studies where you're along with them. I'll I'll give it, I'll give it that definitely, but I put it on the honorable mentions because it's one that people talk about. And I think that's important too. Dress to Kill. Murder, Made to Order by Brian De Palma. Features Nancy Allen, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. I cannot escape a year of horror movies without mentioning, recommending, and reviewing at least one creature run amok movies, and that is Alligator. <laughs> and it's about to break out. You know what's really cool about uh, Alligator is that the alligator looks amazing. You know? The creature mm-hmm. effect looks incredible. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend you do. But don't think it's a good movie. Yeah. Just watch it. It's a creature feature, if I've ever seen one. 
a lot of people running away from it screaming. Of course. <laughs> of course. A lot of these movies, and this is where you and I meet eye to eye, is you go into them knowing what you're going to watch. Like, you can't you can't pretend like every movie is going to be Taxi Driver or Jaws. You know, you got to... You get you gotta take them for for what they are, but sometimes for what they are are really really good. That's I mean that right there. What you just said is the Rod, that's the Roger Ebert um, school of thought. He's more understanding of a movie's intent than any other critic I've ever read. You know what I mean? He'll he'll sure. judge it based on the film's intent and the merits. Right. If it's supposed to be gross and it's effective in displaying that, then how can it be bad? It, you know, you may not sure. like it, but maybe that's the point, and so that will make it a good mm-hmm. film. You know, that's in the eighties. Uh, Siskel and Ebert both shat on movies that I love, but looking back on them now with like a mid thirties perspective, I see why they said what they said. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It shouldn't tarnish your experience of a movie if a critic or uh, some sort of accolade says that it's garbage. You should like what you like. And don't be ashamed of it. You just have to own it. Yeah, for sure. My number 10, if I were to do a top 10 list, my number 10 is Cannibal Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Uh, quick quick notes on that. Obviously, the uh, controversy that has come from this movie is not only important to just the movie's lore, but the lore of horror as well. Um, it kind of will always be the benchmark of that kind of horror that pushes the envelope to say, here's what we did. They didn't like it, but now you've seen it, so now you're going to see it in other movies. So it's almost like that desensitization shock. Um, you know, it's you, we're going to give it to you straight. You've never seen it before, but others are going to follow suit because now it's the new, um, now it's the new contender for shock. Looking back now, uh, 41 years later is um, the perceived animal torture. Now, yes. It would it would not fly if this movie was made today, hundred no. percent. But what uh, what has been documented was that those animals were not tortured; they were killed to feed not only the 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 crew but the tribes that were actually as a part of the movie. Mm-hmm. So they would have killed them anyway. It just when the cameras were rolling from a um, exploitation style grindhouse film. Of course, it looked like it was like, oh, Peter's got to be called on this one for sure. What they wanted to do for the movie is like, that's almost like a perfect representation of it because it is the mix of actual documentary versus, you know, a film, right. a fictional film. I think what's poignant about the film is that it's kind of meta. It's it's snuff uh, lore, right? You know, you want to see it, you don't want to see it. It's something. It's taboo, you're not supposed to watch it, but you can't unsee it now by the vessel of the story within the movie is that this is found footage by a team of producers. So there's like, it's the movie within a movie, essentially. It's funny you're talking about it so much now, because that actually is my number five. <laughs> so when we start oh. doing my list anyway. Um, That's so funny that it's higher up for you. I, I didn't think you would have ranked it as high. Well, I guess thinking about it in, um, just when I was going through all the movies of 1980, you know, and thinking about, you know, especially, I mean, obviously I didn't see when it was first out in 1980, but um, that's just always one of those movies that, like, nostalgia-wise, 
it was like part of the video nasty craze and it was always like you know such yeah. a forbidden movie to watch that you know when you were younger you just wanted to find that seek it out and watch it to see if it was really as crazy as you know everybody says it was so sure uh, yeah. you know in terms of film discovery and mm-hmm. um you know really trying to like um, you know, set, raise the bar in terms of things that you've seen on screen. You know, Cannibal Holocaust really is, you know, the beginning, I, I would say, of a lot of people. Maybe not so much anymore, but especially in the 90s, um, you know, a lot of people viewed that movie as just such a, a high watermark of, like, you know, just disturbing, I guess, cinema. And definitely, um, we may not have had... Uh, Blair Witch I was, movie. With I a, was literally just going to say that the very moment you started saying it. I mean, the whole device, I mean, the device of the, the whole plot device is the exact same as the Blair Witch Project, you know. This, the crew disappeared disappeared into the woods and we found their footage. So let's watch it. You know, Deodato said, don't go out in public. Blair Witch people did the same thing where, you know, they didn't talk about the movie. They didn't associate with it they didn't <laughs> except Ruggiero Diodato had to go to court and like bring the people to court because they didn't believe that it was fake they thought it was all real yeah he was up on murder charges That's and wild. Uh, that only hypes the movie even more for horror fans to exactly. be like well now I, now I gotta see it yeah exactly so that was your number five. That's my number 10. That's interesting. <laughs> number nine for me is Motel Hell. Mm-hmm. Rory Calhoun what a charming hapless man he is <laughs> have you watched motel hell no okay well just they get away with the title because it's supposed to be motel hello and the o has burnt out in the sign oh yes okay quick synopsis on that people go stay at the hotel they disappear they sell beef jerky they don't own cows <laughs> hmm. interesting yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's fun. It's crazy, though. I just think of The Simpsons when you say Rory Calhoun, because there's that scene. Mr. Burns goes to Smithers. He goes, "What's who's that Who's that man in that movie I like or whatever? And Smithers goes, yeah. Rory Calhoun, sir? Yes, Rory Calhoun. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Number eight is Terror Train, a Canadian movie mm-hmm. featuring Ben Johnson, Jamie Lee Curtis. The biggest grab for the filmmakers was Oscar-winning cinematographer John Alcott. Here was Stanley Kubrick's guy who did A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, and The Shining. Wow. And I think he took it on as a challenge because, A, it was shot entirely at night, and B, its set was in a confined, naturally dim space for most of the running time. Alcott was a master of ingenuity. Um, for instance, Barry Lyndon was lit in almost entirely by candles. And so he strung dimmer lights along the outside of the train um, to light the interior. And he used pen lights to illuminate the actor's eyes. It's a, it definitely worked out very well. And knowing this, when I was watching it most recently, you can tell that it's got like the coloration and the lighting um, narratives that um, Kubrick almost in, uh, incorporates into his film. Um, so you can see that kind of stamp on the movie. The movie's not on a Kubrick level by any means, but just watching the lighting alone, it definitely gives some indication that this actually came from a very, very keen eye mm-hmm. and an inspired eye because, again, it happens entirely in a train. 
Yeah. I mean, it'd be cool to watch it knowing that fact. Yeah, for sure. Well, I've actually got three Canadian movies on my list here. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second and the next one is uh, Prom Night. Again, there's another one. Jamie Lee Curtis yeah. again with Leslie Nielsen. I know. That's so weird. I know. Uh, Prom Night's strange. Um, I definitely put it up higher, but I think I, 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 I want to say I don't like it as much as Night Train or even Motel Hell, but it's a better movie. So I think that's why I put it higher. Um, getting closer. Sorry. One last. So this is my number six. It's a Ken Russell movie, Altered States. Oh, now, have you have you seen that one? Still haven't seen this one either. It was on In Search of Darkness, that uh, yes. 80s horror movie doc- documentary, and uh, it looks pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a real trip, that's for sure. Budget was $14.9 million for 1980. Jeez. That seems pretty ridiculous. That's pretty ridiculous. Um, and it brought in 19.9, so it was almost a wash. <laughs> <laughs> My number five for 1980 is The Changeling. Oh. George C. Scott, obviously a classic... Uh, revered ghost story the host has such a presence to it it's a character unto itself and uh what a cool movie and unexpected for its era again right at the beginning of slasher craze it's a it's almost like a drama thriller suspense mm-hmm. well yeah the changeling so i mean that, that i'll talk a little bit about uh, that's my number four <laughs> so it's like cool. we're we're almost we're almost aligned. But yeah, what I like about the Changeling is uh the same reason why I like a movie like Rosemary's Baby. Um y- you go in and it's like you're trying to unravel the mystery along with the main character. Um, right. And that's what's cool about the Changeling is like he moves, you know, he's uh I guess spoiler alert 41 years later if you haven't seen the Changeling like sorry. But he's just he's <laughs> mourning the loss of his family. They get into a car accident at the start of the movie, and he has to, he just moves into this big mansion. He's a writer, and uh, he's just like weird things start happening, noises, and, and and he starts like unraveling the mystery of the ghost that lives in this in this house. And it's just cool to kind of go along with him, uh, you know, on that. Mm-hmm. Like it's like a supernatural detective story in a way, you know. Definitely, and what a strong opener to a movie. Mm-hmm. Especially so, like you like you alluded to, like the loss of his family. But just reading up on it again, that it won um, the the Canadian version of the Oscars is called the Genie Awards, and. This this movie it was like the inaugural the inaugural Genie Awards so like the first one and it won eight like it was the big winner that year for the Canadian Oscars best film of the year you know my number four so I'll just try to get caught up to you now <laughs> Maniac oh my god <laughs> did, did this happen before uh, where we were like both one off each <laughs> so that's your number three that's gonna be my number three <laughs> for fuck's sakes so um. Maniac, William Lustig, what a great movie. Um, it's definitely one of the dirtiest movies ever made. Like, just gr- grime. Like, you can, like, feel the grime and grossness on it. <laughs> you you need a shower. Just his, like, his sweaty face leering into the... Oh. Like, when he's choking people out, and it's just like, oh, man. <laughs> but a phenomenal performance. Oh, yeah. I perfect, mean... Perfect for the movie. It's right up there with uh, Henry 
uh, portrait of a serial killer in terms of like such a compelling killer. Yeah. There's nods to Psycho as well in terms of like the character development. But I think what's really, really upsetting. No, I shouldn't say really upsetting. Some the the visuals are pretty upsetting. <laughs> One of the cool devices that they use in the movie is the soundtrack, the score. Mm-hmm. It is so delicate. Well, that's true. That it almost creates empathy. It's it creates a dichotomy as a viewer, and it's very jarring because you have something very sweet and beautiful playing over some murderous, grotesque moments. Mm-hmm. Tom Savini's cameo appearance where his head's blown off. One of the great, I mean, honestly, one of the great, I would say, kills in horror film history. Like, oh my God, like they didn't have a permit to do it. <laughs> Joe, Joe jumps up on the hood of the car with a shotgun and blasts this dummy's head through the car window in New York, which unfortunately to people of New York, that's not unheard of, a gunshot in the distance yeah, at really. night. Uh, but after they would do a scene like that, they'd have to take off running because they didn't have the permit for it. <laughs> it's very much like Cannibal Holocaust in the sense that it's like it's shocking, it's dirty, it's uh, it 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 is very very layered in its. Um, I don't want to say it's it, it is layered in terms of its character development, and I think that that's overlooked by how shocking the movie is. Mm-hmm. And this movie should be looked at with a different eye, majority speaking. Uh, But it is definitely appreciated by the horror community. But I think by and large, I think anyone new to watch it now might be like, this is a gross movie. It is, but you got to watch it with a different eye. Yeah, that that subway um, stalking scene is actually pretty, Mm. pretty tense. Mm -hmm. Still holds up, you know, most certainly, most certainly. When movies push the envelope, that opens the door for others. Mm -hmm. And Maniac, Cannibal Holocaust, I think we're starting to see a trend in 1980 where (laughs) movies kind of open up the floodgates to a new subgenre to not only emerge, but welcome in new ideas. So Maniac, Cannibal Holocaust, once you see it, you've probably seen modern takes of that movie. Yeah. Nods devices so that was your number three Mm -hmm. my number three is probably your number two (laughs) or yeah i i you know what this is probably your number two wait (laughs) if it is that's gonna be hilarious then i have no idea if this is if this is your number three man what can be your number two because i know what your number one is because it's the same number one that i have but uh most certainly yeah so this is a supernatural horror film (laughs) <laughs> Co-written, created the music, oh, and directed by that is so Mr. Funny. John Carpenter. <laughs> I love, of course, I'm talking about the fog. Oh, I love the fog so much. That's why it's my number two. It's my number two. Like I just, th- this movie gets better for me. Like as the years go yeah. by, I love this movie so much. That's amazing. Oh man, what can I say about the fog? Uh, to me, like everything about the fog works. We were talking about before about intent. Like a movie's intent and what it sets out to do, it's how it delivers on that. Mm. It literally opens with a ghost story being told around a campfire. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a great campfire ghost story, like made into a movie. Just that idea of, and you know how I love 
like revenge stories. And in a way, this is a revenge story for the spirits that crashed their ship. 11.55, almost midnight. Enough time for one more story. One more story before 12. Just to keep us warm. In five minutes, it'll be the 21st of April. 100 years ago, on the 21st of April, out in the waters around Spivey Point, a small clipper ship drew toward land. Suddenly, out of the night, the fog rolled in. For a moment, they could see nothing, not a foot ahead of them. And then they saw a light. My God, it was a fire burning on the shore, strong enough to penetrate the swirling mist. They steered a course toward the light, but it was a campfire like this one. The ship crashed against the rocks. The hull sheared in two. The mast snapped like a twig, and the wreckage sank men aboard. At the bottom of the sea lay the Elizabeth Dane with her crew, their lungs filled with salt water, their eyes open and staring into the darkness. And above, as suddenly as it had come, the fog lifted, receded back across the ocean and never came again. But it is told by the fishermen and their fathers and grandfathers that when the fog returns to Antonio Bay, the men at the bottom of the sea, out in the water by Spivey Point, will rise up and search for the campfire that led them to their dark and icy death. Is that like a scout group? Like, what are they doing out there? And why is that guy telling them the story? Like, he's just so, you know, his voice is so scary. Well, oh, well, it's John Houseman. He was a classic voice of, of many mo- movies and radio mm-hmm. in the early, early days. So to have John Houseman in that, that's a real nod to storytelling. But yeah, just even just like um, things that Carpenter has, um, you know, become famous for. I love like when you finally see anytime you see the ghosts um of the Elizabeth Dane or whatever they're like, I mm-hmm. love it when when Carpenter shows um like spirits or you know the, who, whoever the villains are they're just like standing still watching oh man that gets it still gets me every time like at the very end yeah. in the church when the priest like turns around and they're just all in oh. the pews and they're just standing there in the church staring at it. it's just it's just that's gr- that's great that's great horror film right there no that that is true horror movie like it's it's just it pays homage to not only a ghost story but those very simple how would you 
create the visuals to go with a narrated story. You know, something simple, but it is so effective. It's so simple, and that's why it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roger Ebert gave this movie two out of four stars, commenting, "This isn't a great movie, no. but it does, but it does show great promise from Carpenter." Great promise. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know, can't get them right all the time. But movies are all, like, especially a movie like this. Hindsight is. I mean, 2020, I guess, like you, you watch it oh, with fresh yeah. eyes in 1980. It might be just kind of a, you know, run of the mill horror film, yeah. I guess. But man, oh man, it works and it, it continues to work. And I just love that movie. Love that movie so much. Longevity can dictate a new narrative That's of true. a film's importance. Yeah. Like you're talking about, you know, the hundred greatest horror films. Like how many horror movies have, you know, that, you know, oh, yeah. that's pretty decent. Yeah. Oh, that's. Uh, decent, bud. <laughs> decent. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for the old bubbles. Yes. So that was my number three. That's your number two. Yes. My number two is a movie that you haven't thought of. I can't believe that I forgot that this would be your number two, but it's just, yeah, in terms of nostalgia. How did you not even put this as an honorable mention? Because I want to know. Uh, we've talked about this before. To, to me, we, when we talk about, like, nostalgia and importance and, like, childhood, th- these these movies I just never, I never was super attached to. I never got into them as much as you did. <laughs> but I know what it is. I know what it's going to be. It's probably one of the most important slashers. (laughs) The one that started the new wave of mass-produced slashers. Mm -hmm. Low budget, high return. I'm talking about Friday the 13th. Great twist. Yes, great twist ending. (laughs) It's Again, it's a very simple movie. But definitely, when you watch it, you're watching someone kind of mirror the the culture the pop cultural impact that halloween left on audiences of 2 years before so 1978 and when we're talking about uh budget and return i mean halloween had like a a $300,000 budget and it brought over 70 million as an independent film yeah that's that's ludicrous i mean that's yeah that's a cra- that's a success story but this is the first of the distributed of uh, like a mass distributed big box production company independent film. So, you know, like uh had a budget of $550,000 raked in 59.8 million, mm-hmm. which not as successful as Halloween, but you know that as a copy that did very well. Despite the rest of the franchise that we know of Friday the 13th, associated with the hockey mask wearing Jason. His death is the catalyst for the deaths in this film. And uh, Jason doesn't make an appearance until the end, of course, which was Tom Savini's suggestion. Mm. He suggested that Jason pop up out of the lake. And first he offered his own son up for that, but uh, his wife said no. That would be too many hours in the cold water, and your son is not doing that. So the the... The child actor that they hired, Ari, he did it. And now he goes to the quarter conventions. And Tom Savini's son says, see, Dad, I could have been signing those autographs. <laughs> uh, so anyway, Tom Savini did the uh, the effects for it. The great uh, the great Kevin Bacon kill. Oh, my goodness. This this nobody. Who the <laughs> and just and just think in in four years, 
he will be footloose. And everything will change. And then in nine years, he will be tap dancing on the deserts of Perfection Valley, <laughs> battling the Graboids. <laughs> but that's a movie for another podcast. I think what's so cool about this movie is that it is so, again, it's a simple horror, it's a simple slasher, and that's what makes these type of movies effective. This really capitalizes on the POV element that Carpenter established in Halloween. Mm -hmm. Um, The soundtrack's phenomenal. Henry Manfredini, he scored an incredible soundtrack to this. Mm -hmm. And it obviously worked out for them because it's Friday the 13th. It may not be the same killer, but uh, like I said, Friday the 13th Part 2 I think is a phenomenal sequel to this movie. I think those two movies back-to-back are incredible. Yeah, Friday the 13th, number two. Completely ignored by yourself. Okay, number one, <laughs> why, don't you t- why don't you take the lead on this one, sir? So much has been said about this movie. Like, it's still crazy that it's 1980, and especially how um, timeless it continues to be, how effective it continues to be. You know, even though the yeah. lead actor is a little over the top, but I think... Um, <laughs> You know, but that's part of what makes the movie so great. And uh, Hell yeah, it is. You, it's, I, I consider it to be one of the greatest movies of all time at this point. And we are talking, of course, about The Shining, directed by Stanley Kubrick, of course, based on Stephen King's 1977 novel. It's cool that they made this movie like th- only three years after the movie or the book was released. Yeah. But yeah, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, of course, as Danny. And uh, Scatman Crothers. Oh, Scatman Crothers oh. as... Um, Halloran. Halloran. Man, that, the name just escaped me. Um, but yeah, such a great movie. Perfect perfect horror movie, I would say. Like, still continues to oh, be yeah. just amazing. Uh, mostly, I would say, credit, give credit where credit is due for Kubrick making just um, the most amazing visuals. Uh, just iconic oh, yeah. visuals at this, this point, you know what I mean? Um, those perfect, the f- perfect framing he does, uh, the way he films in uh, four three, I guess, like a square almost ratio. Um, just man, the hallways of the Overlook just always look amazing. Uh, very claustrophobic. Um, that I mean, just so many, so many, so many moments. Well, I mean, ha- it's hard to even like begin to talk about The Shining because there's so much to go over, but. Oh yeah, I mean the the other the other side of it is what. What can we say about The Shining that someone hasn't heard already? It's just our praise of it. Like, The Shining is one of the most important horror movies and movies ever made, period. Uh, Mm -hmm. No one can deny that um, because of what it influenced to come. When you look at some of these movies on this entry, a a lot of them seem quite childish and amateur compared to The Shining. It is so well composed. that's, That's true because, like... I mean, you're dealing with Kubrick, who's like, you know, a legitimate, like then the term gets thrown around a lot, but he's like a legitimate master and um, The Shining is a masterwork. Do you know what I mean? Oh, it's a masterpiece. It is a study. It is, it is exactly what it's a seminar. You walk out of that saying, I just watched something very important. Yeah, very great. Yeah. Um, Of course, everyone talks about Kubrick. Of course, everyone talks about Jack Nicholson. Of course, everyone talks about how, you know, Stephen King famously hated this version or whatever. That's just like the legend as the legend goes. Roger Ebert did a great review, a great movie essay on The Shining. And he talked a little bit about it. 
I th- I really think that Shelley Duvall low key is like VIP of The Shining. A hundred percent. Just in her, in her portrayal of like a broken woman, mm. her portrayal of like trauma of a loving mother that will do anything to protect her son. Oh yeah. Um, you know, it's kind of going back to it. Like she really delivers, man. Like yeah, she kills it. And of course, famously, um, they talk about how I guess part of that was achieved by Kubrick being. A tyrant, you know, yep. um, being Kubrick, being Kubrick, and just like demanding long hours and multiple takes, and just like not really treating her as well as he might have treated Jack Nicholson. But um, I think Ebert talks about a bit of it. It's like at the end of the day, you know, maybe that's a little bit of Kubrick's the method to the madness of a, a, a master because it really comes across on screen uh, how broken down she was, you know. Uh, Definitely. Maybe that's, you know, maybe that was kind of, you know, in a way just important to making The Shining what it was, you know. Definitely. She is definitely tortured. Shelley Duvall and Wendy become one in that movie. Mm -hmm. And you feel the terror that she is experiencing in that movie. Like The Shining stays with you. That mysterious ending, man. Even even if even if you don't know what that picture means, it's yep. just like it sticks sticks with you. You know what I mean? You can't you can't shake that kind no. of final image. You know, it was on my top five list of movies of all time. You have a you have a tattoo. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've got Danny on the trike on the infamous carpet, riding oh, into man. the two three seven inscribed. Hedge with, of course, red rum written underneath it, which my dad still, I'm in my 30s. He goes, you know, that spells murder backwards. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, so that's our that's our list. Holy. I like it. We almost matched except for we almost matched eternal devotion to Friday the 13th. It's more of a surprise. The fact that you haven't been into it. I'm just joking. There are some titles here that stand out as movies that I'm like, oh, I meant to watch that. The Children, City of the Living Dead. Fulci always has great, a couple great scenes, but it's, I don't know. To me, it's hard to make it through a whole movie. Uh, Contamination, that was on Joe Bob one year. I think that was in the first season on uh, Shudder. Death Ship. I, this cover is a memory burn, for sure. And then from the slasher side of things, don't answer the phone. I think that is a follow-up to, uh, or at least a copy of uh, When a Stranger Calls. Uh, Don't go in the house, obviously a slasher. He Knows You're Alone. Here's an interesting one. So He Knows You're Alone is a slasher film, which features a very young, a very green Tom Hanks. Wow. Humanoids of the Deep. Haven't seen that one. No. Inferno. Dario Argento. Okay. Yeah, that, is that part of like the Three Mothers trilogy? It is. It is. Yeah, I think that's the the one I have not seen. Okay. Nightmare City, Nightmares, The Unseen. I know the cover to that. Windows, Without Warning. Patrick still lives. I just pulled all the horror movies that Wikipedia recognized from 1980. And that was that was just on the list there, but yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, keep watching horror. Keep drinking beer. Women can't live with them. Can't live without them. 
Words of wisdom, Lloyd, my man. Words of wisdom. <laughs>